when I worked at Christianity Today, they had some picnic tables out back of the building. And on a nice day, uh, employees, if you wanted to, would eat lunch out there. And one time, it was in like August or September, some of us were out there and a bee started buzzing around the table and buzzing around us and landing on different people's food. So one of the guys who was out there had an empty Coke bottle, plastic one, so he, he pointed the mouth of the bottle toward the bee and like with a butterfly, that would just like scare the butterfly away. But the bee actually went toward the bottle and climbed inside the neck of the bottle. And so then he just took the cap, screwed it on, and uh, I don't think the bee got a very good deal. The bee got to have some of the sticky residue left in the bottom, but he was captured and controlled. It's a pretty good picture of what the devil does to every one of us, friends. He offers us something that looks really good, something that would make us feel good, something that would numb the pain. And he holds it out to us, and if we go for it, we will soon find ourselves captured and controlled. So I uh, wanted to see if any of these temptations that you are feeling right now match uh, a survey that I saw of Americans' top temptations. So, all right. And by the way, these are in order from higher percentage of people who responded to those down to lower. So, worrying. That's so normal to me. I thought that. I didn't think that was a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Procrastinating. Okay, there we go. Eating too much. Anybody getting a ding, ding, ding? Spending too much time on media. All right, being lazy, spending more money than I can really afford, gossiping about others, being jealous or envious of others, viewing porn, and abusing alcohol or drugs. And obviously, this is a very incomplete list. There are just so many ways that we can numb the pain of life and feel better about ourselves. So... I don't know what your preferred method is, whether it's procrastinate or binge watch or envy or trash talk people or whatever. We all do something on that list and usually the whole list, right? Uh, Often. So, and the thing is about all of those, they seem harmless and give some relief. Most of those. At first, that's the way they work. They do relieve you at first. But before too long, we find ourselves captured and controlled all of a sudden discover, oh, my relationships are suffering. Maybe my work is suffering. My intimacy with God is suffering. And so what do we do? Well, thankfully, Jesus teaches us how to fight temptation, and he teaches us from his own experience. I mean, think about that. When Jesus walks out into the wilderness of temptation and you need to not picture like a forest wilderness but like surface of the moon wilderness rocky barren dry he went out there alone so the only reason that we know today what happened to him out there is that he chose to tell his disciples i think he told them then and so that it would help them 
then and us now, what does temptation feel like? What does it sound like? How does it come to us? And most important, how do we fight back? How do we overcome it and resist it? So I, I want to invite us all tonight to learn from Jesus' lived experience so that when temptation comes to you or to me, we will find ourselves more ready to resist it and stay free. Look, if you would, at Matthew 4 and verse 1 there in our gospel reading tonight. Next, Jesus was taken into the wild by the Spirit for the test. The devil was ready to give it. Jesus prepared for the test by fasting 40 days and 40 nights. That left him, of course, in a state of extreme hunger. Now, when you have not eaten for almost six weeks, as we've learned from people going on hunger strikes, you are dangerously weak. Your, your muscles and bones hurt. Your electrolyte levels are way off, like scary levels off. You are not able to think clearly. And if I were Jesus on day 40, I'd be thinking, Father, I know your spirit led me out here, but, and I know I'm supposed to fast, but have you forgotten me? Because if this doesn't stop soon, I'm going to die. And that's when the devil shows up. He didn't come on day three, day 10, day 14. He circles like a mountain lion, waiting for where and when best to pounce. And so often the devil comes to us when we are vulnerable. He will come when we are lonely. We're in a hotel room traveling in a strange city and we're all alone. He'll wait until we're busy and adrenaline depleted or we're sick or we're depressed or a friend just got something we've desperately wanted and for a whole lot longer than they. He comes on day 40. And Jesus, in this state of extreme hunger, which the devil took advantage of in the first test, here's the test. Since you are God's son... Speak the word that will turn these stones into loaves of bread. Come on, you're the son of God. Like, why are you starving? You deserve better than this. God is definitely not being good to you. Someone as important as you should not be hungry. You have the right to take any rock out here and turn it into a warm, round loaf of barley bread. Mmm, can you taste it? So the first thing we learn from Jesus' experience is that the devil will come when we are vulnerable and he points out what we don't have. The unholy options, by the way, always come in a voice that seems reasonable, very reasonable, totally explainable and justifiable. I don't know about you, but I have noticed that the devil does not usually show up in like red paint and horns looking like Darth Maul. Instead, Usually, the devil comes cloaked as something that seems actually probably for the best. He inserts into our minds some overpowering, compelling thought that we may not really recognize as his. We often think it's ours, and that thought is not going to sound something like, God is so good. No, it's not going to be that. It's not going to be, God, you are more than enough for me. It's going to be, man, I am getting cheated. 
Satan will point out what we do not have in life. Back around the year 2000, for those of you who were alive then, America was in dot-com mania. Remember when they called it dot-com mania? Okay. And there used to be these things called magazines, business magazines. <laughs> and every month, these things would be hitting my desk. So Fast Company and Inc. and Forbes and Fortune and stuff like this, because I was doing business sort of related work. And on the cover would be these smiling faces of these uh, mostly guys in their 20s. And they're smiling because they helped with the startup of Amazon or Oracle or Microsoft, and now they're millionaires. And so they get to wear sneakers to work, and they're driving their Beamers, and they're living in very nice homes, and they're already millionaires, so they can decide whether they want to work or not. And then two good friends of mine decided to leave the kind of work I was doing and go into internet startups. And I could see they were doing very well, thank you. And I wasn't. And man, that began to get me. I thought, why am I schlepping away over here in the not-for-profit world when I could have fun, move fast, get involved, you know, and make some real money? I mean, surely these IPO people aren't all smarter than me. <laughs> so anyway, it's that kind of thought. It's the thought that comes to you where you feel like, man, I am missing out. God has not been good to me. He's withholding. I don't know what that may be for, like for you. It might sound like I spend all day taking care of other people's needs, so the least I could have is this. Or I worked so hard through grad school and this is all I get paid. Or God, why have I followed you all these years and you have not provided this? You've not given me this thing that's so dear on my heart. Or I'm the one who really sacrifices in the relationship and I get so little in return. Or I've been here longer than she has. Or my ministry is critical. You'd think they'd mention it from up front once in a while. We can learn from Jesus' experience that the devil will come when we are vulnerable and he will point out what we do not have. So how do we fight that? When the devil says, since you're God's son, speak the word that will turn these stones into loaves of bread. Take care of what you don't have. Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy, it takes more than bread to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. When you look at this test and the other two tests that Satan throws at Jesus, it's all about what he does not have. And notice Jesus' answer is all about what he does have in God. Yes, I'm hungry. Really hungry. I want bread so much I can taste it. But I have better food in God. He feeds me in a different and deeper way that you can't understand. So go away. The devil will point out what we don't have, but he cannot beat us when we are finding greater satisfaction in God. Then the, so the satisfaction in God is greater than the dissatisfaction we feel over what we don't have. Uh, the late, great Dallas Willard talks about this really well. He said, I know my temptations come out of situations where I am dissatisfied, not content. 
I'm worried about something or I'm not feeling the sufficiency I know is there. If I have a strong temptation, it will be out of my dissatisfaction. Therefore, he says, the surest guarantee against failure is to be so at peace and satisfied with God that when wrongdoing presents itself, it isn't even interesting. That's how we stay out of temptation. Now, that might sound just a little glib if you don't know the life of Dallas Willard, but he was an astonishing person who lives this, lived this fully with integrity. What Satan can never take away, he can point out what we don't have. He cannot take away what we do have. We have God. So to overcome temptation, we don't deny our unfulfilled longings in, in these different areas of life, but we trust that God can satisfy us in a different and deeper way. Does that make sense? When I, when I felt stuck in my job and had visions of IPO grandeur in my head, Karen could tell I was really wrestling and I was going through it. And she also could tell, I can't help you. So, <laughs> so she said, honey, why don't you go see Doug? So I went to see Doug Stewart, who's back here tonight. And like a good mentor, he did not tell me what to do. But it was kind of annoying because he kept using the word midlife a lot. <laughs> and then he said, Kevin, you haven't really asked the, the, the deep, deeper God questions yet. Like, can I trust you with my life? He said, why don't you go on a retreat for a week? And I didn't have any better idea. So I did. And during the retreat, I wandered into a chapel where they had the Stations of the Cross. And it was the traditional stations. And in three of the 14 stations, Jesus is stumbling under the weight of his cross. It's so heavy, he cannot carry it. But then there's this wonderful scene where Simon of Cyrene comes along and helps him carry it. And it was through that that I felt like God was saying to me, don't be surprised that there are crosses on the way. It's actually the right path, but I will send the resources so that you will be able to carry it. And so I went back and chose to stay in my job. Nothing had changed outwardly, but inwardly I could sense that God was going to be enough for me. And that was the difference. And he was. Now I look back and I just thank God that through his spirit speaking to me and Doug, he kept me from what would have been, for me, a really bad choice. There was nothing wrong with the work per se. Many fine people do that. But what I could not see at the time, believe it or not, was that a huge driver for me was greed. That was actually the main motivation underneath it. And had I given in to that temptation, I would have gotten swept up in the startup world of 75, 80 hours a week, minimum, right? I mean, and my relationship with God would have gotten squeezed by that very dynamic. My relationship with my loved ones would have gotten squeezed by that same thing. And I, I, I'm just so thankful to the mercy of God that he rescued me from what was a, a, a potentially really bad choice that he saved me from that temptation by giving me a confidence that I could find satisfaction in God enough to go through with the current life I had, where there were some things that I was feeling the lack. 
So the big question for us then on temptation is, do we know how to find satisfaction in God? Dallas Willard talks about this. He says, I encourage believers to have times every week when they do nothing but enjoy God. Times every week where they do nothing but enjoy God. They may, that may mean for them walking by a stream, looking at a flower, listening to music, or watching your children or grandchildren play without your constantly trying to control them. Experience the fullness of God. Think about the good things God has done for you and realize he has done well by you. My mom is uh, uh, 93 now, and uh, she has some physical challenges that are difficult. She told me, I'm, I'm working on my, my thank you God list and I've gotten down to 202 unique things. And I know the next time I call her, the list is going to be longer. And then, then Dallas says this, if there's a problem for you doing that, actually enjoying God and feeling that he has been good, then he says, then work through the problem, which I presume means get with a spiritual director or a pastor or a counselor or somebody who can guide you on this because we really cannot serve God if we do not genuinely love him. So let me ask you a question. When is it that you find yourself feeling closest to God? Where do you, where do you feel satisfied in God? What is that like for you? Then here's what I would encourage for you tonight as a way to apply this sermon is to say, how could I place myself in that situation more often? All right, and now I, I want to offer a word, just a pastoral word. Um, with temptation, it is so good to learn how it works and how to fight it, as Jesus so beautifully teaches us. But we also need to know what do we do when we give in? Because we do and we will. We fail it. We blow it. C.S. Lewis says that the main thing we learn from a serious attempt to practice the Christian virtues is that we fail. Hat tip to Marge for that quote. Um, we do fail. And when we feel fail, I don't know how you feel, guilt or shame or distance from God. Maybe a desire to just keep that distance. Uh, maybe a sense of futility. I don't know why I even try. Um, so what do we do when we give in to temptation? So here's my pastoral word for you. There's a wonderful little book called Searching for and Maintaining Peace. And the author of that book, a French writer named Jacques Philippe, says something that helped me and I, I hope it'll help you. He says, actually, our biggest problem is not that, is not even our sin. Because God knows how to deal with sin. It's called repentance and forgiveness. Our, actually, our bigger problem is how we let sin keep ourselves at a distance from God. Instead of picking ourselves up and coming home to him, 
uh, which, is, which would immediately begin to restore and move us forward. Philippe puts it this way. He says, the person who falls but immediately gets up has not lost much. He has rather gained in humility and in the experience of mercy, but he who remains sad and defeated loses much more. The sign of spiritual progress is not so much never falling as it is being able to lift oneself up quickly after one falls. I want to say that again so you get this. The sign of spiritual progress is not so much never falling. It's being able to lift yourself up quickly after one falls and come back home to God. I found in working with people uh, as a pastor that they have this, many of them have this thought, I, I should be going for zero falls and if I don't do that, which I ultimately won't do that, then I kind of get in despair and a sense of desperation and self-loathing or distance from God or something like that. A, a framework in which they do not sort of come back to God. And so I, I've encouraged them, what if you thought about it this way? Fewer falls and faster rises. Fewer falls, faster rises. I think your faith would actually move forward. Um, so my encouragement to us all is just don't stay away from God. Don't stay away because you've sinned. Don't stay away because you've drifted. Don't stay away because you're in pain. Don't stay away because your life is not what you'd hoped for. Don't stay away because you sometimes doubt God's goodness. The writer of Hebrews pleads with us and says this, We do not have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. Experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. Amen. we take a couple moments um, just for people to process and think and pray.